Good morning. My name is Ben. We're so glad you're here. You're in for a treat today. I've got with me on the stage Fred and Claire Buckley. I'm going to introduce them to you a little bit more in just a second. But this week I was uh, preparing for this message series, and I, I just pulled up a few stats as a way to kind of whet our appetite for what we're going to talk about today. CNN Money did a cover story on people and money. That's why it's called CNN Money. And they discovered that three-fourths of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And, and almost 25% of Americans have less, less than $100 in savings in case there's an emergency or an unexpected expense. And in this church, what we've discovered is one of the things that causes the most stress, marriage problems, and a sense of spiritual disconnect is financial challenges. And so around here, we've regularly rallied around people and helped them do with them what God really wants to have happen in their money, which is for them to live free. And Fred and Claire have been a big part of that. Now, you guys, you own your own business in Liberty. You've been with our church from the very, very beginning. I mean, before we ever held services, you have served in various capacities around the church. But one of the things you've done over the years is you've helped people, single people, married people, begin to get financially free. And today we're going to talk a little bit about that in the message. But first, we have a pretty exciting opportunity coming up, don't we? We're doing some classes via the small group session, and you'll be able to sign up for those in just a couple weeks. Some experiences, we're calling it um, Money God's Way, Money God's Way. And three different experiences that you can participate in. In fact, guys, if you'll throw up that first slide here, and then we'll start talking here. On Wednesday, you can go ahead and write these dates down, February 12, 19, and 26, right here at the church from from 7 to 8.30 p.m., and there's going to be some child care provided. You can come and engage these topics. Now, here's the topics we're talking about right here. This next slide. You got that for me, guys? All right, topic number one, how to keep the financial wolves from the door. And should you go broke paying for college and preparing to live generously in retirement? So here's the thing, guys. You're going to be leading this. And I wanted to ask you, how, when you look at the financial landscape, how do you see money playing out in families? What are the trends? Fred, you want to take this? Sure. Well, you know, we've had a lot of experience in this. We've had our own financial planning firm for over 30 years. And the trends continue to really not change. Okay. Uh, what we find is... Things may have been a little bit better, but there's still a lot of accumulation of debt in families. Particularly, the biggest trend we see is in paying for education, the amount of educational debt that's accumulating. So people are coming out of college, maybe, maybe not getting a job, but with mountains of debt. And it's not just impacting those kids, is it? It's impacting the larger families. Sometimes parents have signed off on those loans. That's right. They've co-signed loans. They've signed to, you know, agreed to try to pay loans. They've some circumstances even barred against their, their houses, other things along those lines. So it, it's, it's, a, uh, it's, it's not a good trend. Yeah. And it's pretty normal for people to have financial challenges. Even people who have planned and prepped, things happen unexpectedly, don't they? So let me, let me ask you this question. What are some common excuses that you've observed that people use to keep from fully engaging their finances and getting healthy and free there? Other than the dog ate my yeah. homework. Right? The dog ate my homework, yeah. Well, it comes, a lot of times we'll hear, you know, I'll be able to get out of this hole when I get a bonus or my refund check or mm. when I get the promotion or, or things will get better. And it's really not addressing the real problem. Which is the root of it? Pride. Pride? I think. I mean, you could code it a little better than that, but... Mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people have a hard time looking directly at their situation because they're worried that where they're at with money is a reflection on who they are. Mm. And 
Of course, we know that's not true because who we are is who God made us to be and who he sees us as. So we want to you know, really help people remove that barrier between them and Jesus by seeing who they really are. Claire, that might be one of the most powerful things I've ever heard anybody say about money, that our money isn't a reflection of our value. So whether we have a lot and we don't feel any financial turmoil in our home or whether we have a lot of stress in our home, our value to God, our value to people isn't really impacted by that. It's a really, really big deal. So here's what this church has done. We've consistently offered opportunities for people to engage us in an honest way, in a way that protects dignity and privacy is a big deal. You don't have to divulge anything. And you can come to an event like these three experiences and sit and listen. But beyond that, you can engage even deeper. In fact, Fred, we've seen people who've engaged coaching here at Four Corners where they come into a private engagement of their finances with somebody who's a little further along, a little more knowledgeable. You guys have done a lot of this for us. We've seen coaching make a big difference. What are some of the differences that a coach in somebody's life can make? Well, Ben, we've heard you teach over the years so many times when you're facing, you want to make change or you're facing a big decision is to seek wise counsel. And that's what we hope to provide and also perhaps even build a team to provide to help you uh, and individuals make better decisions through wise counsel. Yeah. Wise counsel is a big deal. I mean, I can make all my own mistakes or I can learn from the mistakes of other people and hopefully not experience the negative consequences of those bad choices. But beyond just avoiding the negative, there's a lot of good things you can do no matter where you're starting from. And it really is in one sense the epitome of pride to rely on my own knowledge alone to get me out of the hole that I'm in, isn't it? Right. Yeah. So you talked about, about faith. Let me just ask you, how, has, how does and how do you believe faith can play a role in a person's finances? How does the relationship with Jesus and money intersect? Not to, you know, overstate it, but I really think that the things that we desire other than Jesus stand in the way of desiring Jesus. When uh, we've seen people fearfully address their financial situation as honestly as possible, and the, the question is always, how do I get through this? Mm. Just like that second song we had this morning, Jesus never fails us. God is always with us. The faith that happens for people when they start really dealing with this, as they get to grow, they, get, they, they almost you have to. If you're not going to lean on Jesus through this, you're, you're going to sink. Uh, and what happens there is the next step that we think is so important. Other people see you doing that. Mm. And you get to tell them, this is how I'm doing it. Mm. Yeah, I'm scared. Yeah, I screwed up. Yeah, you know, all this stuff. But when I get on my knees, when I pray with my spouse, when I seek counsel and I bring God into it with me, I know it's going to work out. And we've seen it, so we can give people that hope. It's not a false hope. Well, we, we have people in this congregation who were literally under the mountain of debt and now I mean, I remember the first time we cycled through this some six years ago or so. I, I know of one particular family. They're in a completely, radically different place. But that change began to happen in less than 12 months. It, it's, a, it, it's amazing what you can do. Now, now here, here's something you need to know. Whenever churches talk about money, they get, people get all concerned. So I'm going to let you off the hook today. I don't want anything from you today. We're, we're not talking about what you give today. 
I'm talking with you today, what we're offering through these courses is what you can do with your finances. And as a follower of Jesus, it's a really big deal. The Bible has a lot to say. And as part of our discipleship, as part of our growth in Christ, dealing honestly with money. Fred, real quickly, this is not on my notes, but we were talking just before service. Um, it, it seems like we have this amazing capacity to just put our head in the sand, like the proverbial ostrich, and, and not even really acknowledge what's going on around us. Have you seen this? And what, would you, what would you encourage somebody to do? How would you encourage them to say, be bold to confront where you are and make change? How, what, what advice would you give or encouragement would you give? Just come out and start talking about it. If your head's in the sand, the problem isn't going to go away. And so the, the major thing, just to build on what you talked about, is the stories of where people just felt embarrassed or felt shame about it. And now, you know, they're a beacon for how Jesus can just change things in your life. Mm. And that's what we hope that we can foster through these classes and the dialogue we're going to start to build with everybody here. So people can come to these classes. They can sign up for those in a week or so. But at the end of our service, I'm going to give you a chance to do that already. And you can sign up for those. Go to them. Engage. You can hold back and not share much. Or you can use those as a beginning point to start a conversation, right? Yes. <laughs> and you're going to help people if they're willing. You're not going to fix it for them, but you're going to actually do something more powerful. You're going to help them gain control and get rid of some of that shame and stress that's associated with money, right? Yes. Yes. Guys, on a personal level, I want to say thank you for over. Over the years, literally saving marriages, bringing Christ into the middle of, of money, and helping our church help the families that are a part of us. So thanks so much. Would you guys like to say thanks to Fred Thank and Claire? You. Thank you guys so much. So here's what I'm going to talk with you about today. One basic idea. Here it is on the screen. It's impossible to become a fully developing follower of Jesus without also becoming a fully, being, a fully developing steward of your financial resources. Remember, I don't want anything from you today. I'm not taking up an offering. We're not launching a capital campaign. We're already doing great with our Christmas offering. This is about today becoming a fully developing disciple of Jesus. And to do that, you have to, I have to, we all have to deal honestly and fully with the issue of money. Now, the primary word that the Bible uses in dealing with your money, with my money, the money Jill and I deal with in our home, is the, is the word steward. It's the word steward. Now, a lot of times we associate the word steward with the person who serves maybe a, a rich person or serves a master or serves in a kind of butler capacity, but it's a much broader term than that historically. The, the best synonym term we have for it is manager. That God has given us, blessed us with stuff to manage. And there's a direct connection between our spiritual condition and our financial condition. They, they impact each other. In fact, here's how Jesus said it. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, he said, Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now, over the years, we've seen people break free. Now, a lot of us are getting in bills now, over the next week or so, from money we spent at Christmas. And the truth of the matter is, some of us are still paying for Christmas, not 2013, but 2012. Some of us are paying for meals still on our credit card that we had three years ago, and we never paid it off fully, and we're still paying interest on that accumulated debt. And as a pastor, what breaks my heart more than the amount of money you do or don't have in your bank account and how much freedom you personally feel is I have seen the issue of money literally destroy marriages. Cycles of shame and guilt set in. 
a sense of powerlessness. A little bit of effort, one step forward, three steps back, and over time, it doesn't work. And people are afraid. They feel as if they don't have any power. And, and, and they also feel, believers feel, you know, what's going to happen? What, what am I going to do? Is God going to take care of me? And so they pray in the, in the middle of their sense of need, and they get a little bit of relief, and then they disengage because the immediate stress is gone. So what I've discovered over the last few years of trying to help people and deal with our own issues in, in, in my house is there are about four major power moves that you can make to help you get free. Now, if you're already free and you're one of the one in seven American families that isn't really feeling the tension right now, like one in seven, everybody else is feeling some kind of tension. If you're already free, go ahead and listen to these. You can sit there and kind of internally nod your head. Don't do it out loud. Don't do it visibly because if you do, the person next to you who's feeling some stress is going to slap you. So don't, don't do that. That's all right. Because, you know, there's a lot of emotion here. Just, just kind of internally acknowledge. And it, and it could be that God would like to use your story to help some other people. Now, money is a seriously sensitive issue. It's very private. I can get people when we're talking to open up about their personal histories with sex, with relationships, with parenting much quicker than we can get honest and talk about real money going on in a person's life. But here's what you should know about your Heavenly Father. He's interested in all of that stuff. You're not alone. It's not a challenge that you have to face by yourself. Now, I want to share with you these four power moves that are directly from the Scripture, and let's talk a little bit about their implications as a way to begin the journey. Because very often, what happens is a person will start down a road thinking that their first few steps is going to alleviate all the stress and all the challenges. And when it comes to money, that never happens. Dealing honestly with money as a disciple and as a fully developing steward of the resources God has blessed you with is about a continual journey, daily or weekly, and at the minimum, monthly engagement of where you are and where you believe God would like you to be. But these four major power moves can help accelerate that. They're kind of activities and thought processes that you can engage that will help you dramatically. The first one I've already alluded to. So here it is. Power move number one is the move from the mentality of the owner to the mentality of the manager. For a disciple, for a follower of Jesus... Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this can still help you, all right? But for followers of Jesus, the Bible doesn't give us an option on how we're supposed to view the possessions we have, how we're supposed to view the money we have. The Bible says that everything comes from God and that there's nothing in your life good that doesn't originate in Him. So that every single thing you have, in fact, the very breath that you breathe, the life that you have originates with God. And the consistent Bible teaching is this, that He has loaned all of that to you. Loaned it given it to you to manage. You don't own anything. What you are instead is you're a manager of what God has blessed you with. Now, this is is an incredible privilege. What it means is that God saw fit to trust you and to trust me with stuff. For instance, here's how the book of Psalms, the writer in Psalms, describes the world, like all the stuff in the world. Here's what Psalms 24, 1 and, and 2 says. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. It harkens back to the Genesis 1-1 account where in the beginning, 
um, God created the heaven and the earth, and the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters, the Bible says. The idea is that everything began with God. So the very air you breathe, the very life you have, the thoughts you have, the family you were born in, the country you were born in, the capacity you have to think and, and reason, the ability you have to work to earn income, all of that ultimately comes from God. And for the believer in Jesus, we're not given an option to think about our stuff this way or not. It literally belongs to God, but you have been trusted with it to manage it, to leverage it for good, to accomplish God's work in your life, in your family's life, and in the world. Not only in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Look, look what this passage says. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. So followers of Jesus, here's a clarifying question for us. One that when I think about it and I'm pressing through money issues and I'm sitting down and I'm looking at our bills, here's a clarifying question I have asked myself that brings the perspective right into its proper place. Here it is. How am I managing the owner's money? As a follower of Jesus, when I come to my money with the idea of how am I managing the Lord's money? How am I managing the owner's money? It's a very different set of thought processes and internal questions and ultimately behaviors than when I ask a selfish, self-oriented question, which is, how am I managing my money? Now, it may seem subtle to you, but if you understand that everything you have belongs to the Lord, and ultimately it's His purposes that you're working towards. So whether I have $5 or $5 million, it's the Lord's. And I'm simply here to manage it and accomplish his agenda with the money. His agenda includes things like providing for my basic needs. Needs, not wants. We'll get to wants in a second. Providing for my basic needs. Shelter, food, basic clothing. Our scale of what we need in our modern American suburban culture is out of touch with the rest of human history. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, we, we call those chapters in our Bible the Sermon on the Mount. And the image we're given is that Jesus is kind of sitting on a hillside and talking to the multitudes. And a big portion of what he was talking about was the stress and the pressure they felt around meeting their needs. Shelter. Basic clothing. Enough food to be healthy. So you're not starving. And Jesus said, when it comes to your needs, here's where your heavenly father is on this. He knows what you have need of even before you ask. He cares about those things. He cares about the needs. And he has more than enough stuff to satisfy our needs. But the challenge really for most of us, and this is probably not true for every single person, but the vast majority of us in this room, the problem isn't getting our needs met. It's at the intersection of our needs and our wants. What we actually want gets in the way. Now, here's the good news about God. Not only does he want to meet our needs, he's perfectly content and he wants us to enjoy some of the things we want. But he, he hasn't committed to anybody that he is in the business of fulfilling everybody's wish all the time. And yet that's the way we kind of come into the world. 
And our culture kind of propagates this idea, and it's encouraged in families. We just came through a season of time called Christmas, where if you just step back and think about it, like if you could, if you could have not have experienced it growing up, and you could come in as a studier or as an observer of what we do with Christmas, some very interesting conclusions would be drawn about what's really going on. For instance, we encourage kids to be selfish at Christmas. We basically say to our kids, think about this. A day is coming in not too, too, too long a time. You have to wait a little bit, but not forever. And, and in fact, it's going to come once a year in your life. And I'm going to try to give you everything you want. In fact, here's a blank piece of paper. Tell me what you want. Just think about that. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying that might have some unintended consequences. The, the difference between what we need and what we want gets blurred. When you think about it's the Lord's money and he has an agenda in my life to meet my basic needs and some of my wants, it changes what typically happens with money. We get a little bit more, we spend a little bit more. We get something nice, we want other things nice. And that's, again, those are not in and of themselves problems. It's the challenge of how do we conceptually see that desire that we have. Do we simply feed the monster? Or do we exercise restraint? Do we know the difference between our basic needs and our wants? Do we have any restraint at all? As we think through the basic question, it's not mine anyway. It belongs to the Lord, and he's blessed me with enough to cover my needs, some of my wants. But for the rest of the money, he wants me to accomplish his agenda in this world, beginning with my family. So if you're responsible for caring for somebody's family, That's God's agenda for you to manage your money to help meet the needs and some of the wants of your family. But beyond that, God is doing a lot of work in the world, a whole lot of work in the world. And he wants you to be a part of that. Sometimes that includes giving money away. Sometimes that involves not giving money away and instead giving your time away, but having the capacity financially to be able to do that. Money has all kinds of implications, and we rarely stop to think about what our behavior says about our values. Here's an action step I want to suggest for you. Here's, Here's a way you can take action with this question. On your credit card, write where your name is, take a Sharpie, and write the name Jesus over your name. Now, let me be clear. I'm not suggesting you really do this, because if you do, people are going to call you weird. Right? And if you do that and you pass a credit card and somebody says, oh, why did you write Jesus on there? Don't tell them you go to Four Corners Church. Because <laughs> right? we're not a cult. All right? but, but just mentally think about it for a second. Every time you give your credit card to buy something, then instead of your name being on there thinking about, I'm going to manage this and it's part of my money and I'll pay for this later. Just as a visual way, mentally, minimally, to think about, this is the Lord's money I'm promising away. It begins to change the way you think about money in your home. It changes everything. The beginning point shifts for you. Remember, here's my basic assumption. It's impossible to become a a fully developing follower of Jesus, to become a fully mature disciple without also becoming a fully developing steward of the money that God's blessed you with, of the home God's blessed you with. Let me make something perfectly clear. He didn't bless you just for you. Part and parcel with God's agenda in the world is that we leverage our blessings to be a blessing to others. 
That's what it means, that it's his money, and since it's his agenda that needs to get accomplished with the money, I don't have full free reign to do what I want. And so I choose to restrain myself and evaluate my wants and pace myself over time and prayerfully consider what God's agenda is with my money. Now, I think if you'll think through your money this way, that you're not the owner, you're the manager, it will open you up to begin to experience freedom there. There's great freedom in relying on God to help you be your partner, to be the manager, the controller, the owner of the stuff, and then submitting yourself to his agenda in your family. Because let me tell you what the enemy of your soul would like. He would like for money to become such a stressful thing in your heart that you can't sleep at night. So that even when you have a free day, you're overcome with worry and you can't give yourself fully to anybody else relationally. And you can't give yourself to a ministry somewhere. And you can't even think about making a difference with your life because you're always consumed with surviving. He'd love for that kind of confusion and stress to be at work in you. He would love that. Because when he has accomplished that goal in your life, he has prevented you then from walking in that place of purpose and freedom that comes with knowing I am God's servant on this world. And his agenda matters. And I get, a, I get my needs met. I get a lot of my wants met. But at the end of the day, I leverage it all for his glory and for the benefit of the people he loves. It's incredibly, incredibly freeing. Now, there, there's another power move that I want to take you to, but it's this power move here. Let's just go ahead and go. Power move number two is to move from living on 100% of what you make to living on less than you make. Now, if you haven't wrestled honestly with the difference between your wants and your needs, it's incredibly difficult to live on less than 100% of what you make. I've shared this. Jill and I have been all over the, the, uh, the chaos of finances in our marriage. And over the years, we have made all kinds of blunders. And one of the blunders was, every time we got a raise, we increased the quality of our, of our life. A little bit more money, increase in quality of life. A little bit more money over here, increase in quality of life. In fact, we started anticipating an increase in money and, and anticipating a bonus, anticipating uh, opportunities that we were going to have a little extra. And sometimes we'd even spend the money before we had it in our pockets. But a radical shift can happen in your money if you decide... Beginning today, I'm going to move towards living on less than I make. In fact, less than I bring home because the government is going to get its portion. So not just what you make. I remember when I got my first job and I got that first paycheck. And I looked at the line, you know, because I had done the math. Minimum wage times my 24 hours that week. I knew what it should have been. And I knew about taxes, but I didn't know about taxes. And I saw that guy, FICA, robbed me. He robbed me of massive amounts of money, and I couldn't get away from him. I, I hated that, right? So they're going to get their money. But beyond that, committing to living on less than you make is a major power move that will bring you freedom. Let me tell you, what's more important than asking what your budget is. Here, here is, I believe, now others can, dis can disagree, I think this might be the most important question you'll ask yourself in your finances. Outside of whose is it anyway, yours or God's, here's the most important question you can ask. Number two, the clarifying question is this. What percentage of my income will I live on? Is it 99%? Is it 100%? For some of us, it's 104%. Not good. That's going to catch up with you. 
Is it 80%? Is it 70%? Just the basic decision. Here's what I have at the end of my taxes. What am I going to live on? And then letting that set the cap on your spending. And the more you can push that percentage down from 100% of what you take home down to 95 or 90 or 85, it's going to require you to deal honestly between your needs and your wants. It's going to cause you honestly to delay. It's going to require some discipline. But there are tools, there are coaches that can help you with this sort of thing. It will change everything. Let me take you to the Bible in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. There's a a lesson from nature here. Here's what the Bible says. Go to the ant, you slugger. That's the Bible way of saying you're kind of lazy. Get off the couch, good for nothing. Go to the ant, you sluggard, and, and consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander. Nobody's telling it what to do. No overseer and no ruler. Yet it stores its provision in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Here's what it's saying. Of course, the ant eats what it needs while it's living, but it doesn't eat everything it gets. It stores away food. There's wisdom in that. The sluggard, the the person that doesn't want to engage, the not wise, doesn't want to think about life this way, and it will catch up with you. The ant is living on less than it has. There's there's a power move you can do. It's going to require some serious change, but it will bring great freedom. It'll reduce the stress. Here's how you can take action here. Live on 20 to 30% less than you take home. Save some of that. If God moves on your heart, give some of that. Bless people with the other stuff. But commit, and I'm telling you, by the end of this year, for most of us, I know there's a few exceptions, and some of us, we've done it wrong so long that it's going to take us a while to get to this principle. But delaying's not going to help you, so you might as well start now. For some of us, by the end of this year, you can be in a radically different place. And if you continue the changes that you make on this principle in five years, you can be free for most of us. Most of us are five years away from a radically different financial outlook without changing our income level at all. It takes guts. It takes action. But you can do it. It doesn't take a whole lot of you know, rocket science and crazy calculations and slick maneuvers on some accounting ledger. Discipline to ask the basic question. What percentage of my income are, are, are we going to live on in a marriage? What percentage of our, okay, you want to do this? I want to do it too. Does it fit in the percentages? Or do we need to move some other things around? So that was power move number two. Power move number one, who owns it? Power move, move number two. Live on less than you make. Here's power move number three. Move from doing it alone to getting a coach. Move from doing it alone to getting a coach. There are incredible resources. Let me take you to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. Here's what the Bible says. The way of fools seems right to them. But the wise listen to advice. If it was simply a matter of sitting down and doing it, you probably would have already done it. It's incredibly arrogant and prideful to say, I got myself in this situation, and now I'm going to have to, by my own intellectual capacity at this present point in time, deal with it and get beyond it. 
There's something prideful working in that. And as Claire said, pride will keep you from moving forward. It's incredibly, on one level, humbling, and this is why some people won't come to our class, and when they do, they won't do the follow-up steps, because it's incredibly humbling, and you actually make the mistake of thinking that humbling equals shaming. It's incredibly humbling to look at somebody in the eyes and say, I'm sitting here with you today because I need help. I'm an otherwise incredibly intelligent guy, and I do a lot of things well in my life, but this one area we've struggled with, and it's creating stress and conflict in my mind and in my home, and I'm done with it, and I would like your help to change. You can do this, but it does require a certain amount of humility. So here's our clarifying question when you face a financial challenge. Whose wisdom will inform my decisions about money? Whose wisdom? Yours alone? Good luck with that. I don't have the training, and you probably don't have the training in and of yourself to manage all that you have. If you had the wisdom already, you wouldn't be in the shape you're in. So there's no shame in getting help. In fact, getting help breaks the cycle of shame and the sense of powerlessness. There's a lot of ways to get a coach. We're offering the beginning steps in these classes. Here's a very simple thing you can do. Go to the bookstore and spend 15 bucks on Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. And while you can't pay Dave to come to your house, you can read his book. And for a $15 investment, you can begin to take somebody else's wisdom and bring it into your life. There's a ministry called Good Sense Ministry. If you don't have 15 bucks, I give you permission. Go to Barnes and Nobles at, at Union Center when church is over today and go find Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, take out your phone, and take pictures of the major points through the book and start bringing Dave's wisdom into your life. And then when you begin to make changes, go back and buy the book and make yourself honest. Now, find good advice this is why, you know, we vet out people like Fred and Claire and others in the church who've helped people move forward because they have helped countless scores of people get right through this. There are people sitting in this room who've been helped by what we've done, but it does require you saying, I would like other input. It's incredibly foolish to keep butting up against the cha recurring challenge thinking that in and of yourselves, for you to be fully free, you must do it all alone. So here's our action step. Today, Google Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University, Good Sense Ministry, sign up for a class, and move forward. And maybe at some point you actually hire somebody. This is what people who have lots of money do. They hire people to manage their money. That's not a resource that's available just to the rich. A lot of that has been captured in books, a little bit of investment of time, and humbling yourself and bringing in new information. If you don't know where to begin, go to the class, read the book, and get started. Let me share with you one last power move. Power move number four. Number one was, whose money is it? Number two, live on less than you make. Number three, engage a coach, either in a book or in person. Number four, bring your behavior with money under God's purposes for money. This is, this is the most esoteric or philosophic or theological one of the major power moves. So let me give you the clarifying question here. How does Jesus being the Lord of my life impact the way I do money? 
And I use the phrase, do money, because that's what's happening. Money isn't this thing floating out in the air. It's a, really, the problems are a set of behaviors associated with money. The behaviors that are based out of our family of origin, the way it was done there, out of the impact of our culture on our thoughts about money. Man, that's something if you take an hour and just think about how has culture impacted the way I think about money and how I think about what my needs are and how I think about what my wants are. Because, you know, culture's incessant. I mean, it, it's always there saying more, more, the newest, the best. Get the next one. It convinces men that if you pull up to an intersection and your car isn't as nice as the car next to you, it convinces men sometimes that they need to get that car in order to... You've seen it, right? It convinces us bigger house, more houses, houses in better places. And in and of themselves, those aren't wrong, but we should probably think through, how does me being a follower of Jesus impact the way I do money, the behaviors I associate with money? So one of the ways you combat the incessant move of culture, bad patterns from family of origin stuff, bad patterns early on in the marriages, you take in new truth. And as followers of Jesus, you should know that your Bible is full of stuff about money. God wants you free with money. I didn't say he wants everybody stinking rich, but he doesn't want money to destroy your peace He doesn't want money to destroy your marriage. He doesn't want money and your bad behavior to keep you from being able to bless your kids and bless the world around you. He wants you free there. And so the Bible talks explicitly and clearly about money. Jesus taught about money more than any other subject, more than prayer, more than going to church, more than being a good person. He talked about money because it's always had the number one competing role in a person's life against Jesus being Lord is money. Money's always operated that way. It vies for the throne of your heart. And so Jesus taught clearly about it. And no follower of Jesus needs to be ignorant about what the Bible says. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand it. So here's two verses that begin to speak about money. And in a few moments, when I give you a chance to take next steps, I'm going to give you a chance to take one, and I'm going to send you the top 10 passages about money as your way of internalizing what the Bible has to say in God's opinion about money against the culture, against bad behavior, against what you've done up to this point. So here's just two right now. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus was telling people, don't worry about your needs. God knows about those. And you, don't have to, you don't have to stress about that. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all this other stuff, clothes, money, shelter, will be given to you as well. I have never met, and I know they exist in other parts of the world, maybe here in this church, but I never have met personally somebody who honestly dealt with the income situation and stuck with it long enough. I've never met a person that couldn't meet their basic needs. Now, in divorce, in abuse, when somebody's been robbed from, that changes. So I'm I'm exempting that sort of thing. But over time, even those situations can be brought under this basic principle that God knows what you need, and he's given you the tools And he's given people around you the tools. And when you bring those tools to bear, your basic needs can be met. Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. The idea of the the power of debt to rob you of freedom. And on the next slide, it's just a list of passages I won't read to you. 
just a list of passages where the Bible speaks clearly about money. You want, you want to think about how to give? Some of you do. There's passages on that. You want to think about how to save? There's passages about that. You want to be free? There's passages about that. There's passages that talk about the competing value of money against all other things in your life. The, the power of greed and it, how it grows and how to kill greed. How to treat people with respect no matter where they are in their money. The Bible is full of money stuff. I'm convinced that's one of the reasons people don't read their Bibles. So what God does is he says, I want you to be free, but to do that, you're going to have to make some sacrifices. You're going to have to be honest with yourself. So those are my four power moves about money. Who owns it? Who owns it? Number two, moving from the idea of, let me find it on my notes here right second, living on 100% to living on less. Number three, getting a coach. Don't go it alone. And number four, bring your behavior under alignment with God's purpose for money. Don't just think it, do it. So with that said, let's take out our connect cards and take a few steps together. While you're doing that, I hope you've been able to hear my heart for you. I want you free. I want every marriage free. I don't want people just surviving. I want them pressing into purpose and destiny. I want you walking with God's agenda and sensing the smile of God on you as you walk in freedom there. So here's our next steps for the day. Like always, next step A for us is begin a relationship with Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, here's his heart for you. He wants you free. He wants to come alongside you and be with you in every area of life, including your money. So the way you do that is you simply look up to him and say, God, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. No need to hide that. I want you to cover my sin, and I want you to be the Lord of my life. So I ask you to do this. Take your pen, and right there at Next Step 8, check it. When the offering bucket comes by at the end of the service, you drop that card in there, and we communicate with you about the power of walking with Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and you can use your words or mine as a way of saying to God, God, forgive me. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Or next step B is always for us, get baptized. We have a baptism coming up not too long from now. And if you have questions or you want to get baptized, check the box. And here's next step C. I will attend one of four C's money, God's way sessions. The things we were talking about with with Fred and Claire. Or, Or you want questions, check it. We'll get you that information. We'll send you everything you need to know. And then you just show up, all right? But this is your way to say, reserve a spot for me. All right, how about next step D? I'm going to find a coach to help me better manage my money. Dave Ramsey's good. We have incredible lives resources free to you right here, right now. But don't go it alone. You've been doing that. It hasn't been working. Don't go it alone. Or how about next step C? Ben, I need to internalize more of God's truth about money. Send me those key passages. You check the box, put it in the offering bucket at the end, and we'll ship it out to you, all right, via email tomorrow morning. Let's pray about these things right now. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the clarity you've given us about money. I want to thank you for your heart towards us with money. You want to bless us. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. And yet you don't want us in bondage about money. You don't want it destroying our homes, robbing us of peace and rest. So God, today we take a step towards your agenda in our lives. I ask God for those that are right now acknowledging that they're a sinner, they need a Savior they'd be able to humbly look at you and say, God, forgive me, wash me clean, be the Lord of my life. I pray for each family in this room, God, that you would protect them with money. The enemy would love to sow seed into their life 
that would lead to ruin and stress and relational discord. God, you're bigger than all that. Give us the boldness to do what you've put in front of us. I pray it in your name, the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. Amen.